Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is the start of our Explore series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan talks about God's vision for Pathway from its early days and how we got to where we are now. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. As we kind of go through this series, and today, like Mitchell said, I am going to talk about some of the early years at Pathway. It's because um, we're starting kind of a, a new year of, uh, of sermons, and, and really for the next year, it'll all kind of be within this theme of the idea of explore. Uh, as a staff and where we've been praying at over this past six months, uh, you know, looking at where we continue to go in the future as a church, uh, one of the things that has really kind of hit home with us is that we have to make sure, just like we did a few years ago and just like we've done before that, that we revisit and we circle back around to keep the focus of why we're believers and why we worship together and what our call is from God, that we keep that in the forefront of our minds. And so as we talk about the idea to explore, it's to go further than we are, obviously. That's the whole idea. When you get out and you just want to go and, and walk in the afternoon and, and you know, take a stroll through a park or go into the woods or you know, go on a hike or whether you go visit a new city or whether you just try you know, a new hobby, that you are doing something that you haven't done before, increasing a skill, seeing something new, uh, taking part of activity that it's been a while or, or just doing it in a different way. It's getting out of your normal comfort zone and latching on to something out there that you say in your heart or in your mind, I want to take part of my time and I want to fill it with that activity. I want to fill it with, with seeing these different things. I want to go to these different places. And as believers in Christ, we have to make sure that we never get tied down and comfortable to where we're happy where we're at. And that we don't have on the forefront of our heart and our mind that our job is to go. Is to explore. And so through this year, we're going to talk about the ideas of preparing and then going and then building. And today is going to be a little bit of a summary about the history of Pathway that a lot of you know, some of you don't, but that kind of encapsulates those ideas about why are we even here as a church. Because Pathway started um, 15 years ago this January was our first small group Bible study. And that first small group Bible study At the very beginning of Pathway, we started with 11 people. We had five adults, five kids, and one college student. And that's who we were on day one. And so January 2007 uh, is when we began. And before I jump into some scripture and share with you some other dates, I've got a handful of pictures to kind of show you some things from those first couple of years. And so this first picture I pulled out um, is one of our very first events and uh, it was one of our very first uh, egg hunts that we had outside. Now, on year one, it was in the park uh, over there off Double Springs. If you go uh, north on Double Springs, past what used to be Penguin Eds, and, uh, and then go into that little neighborhood. Uh, that was the first, I think, the first kind of church event that we had. And you can see a, a very young Luke Flanagan on the bottom left and Preston next to him. And, um, and so then... Uh, in the back, there's uh, Dallin and Alyssa and Crystal somewhere. Ah, dead center. She's dead center. 
Anyway, and there's, uh, you know, other kids in there. And so on the next page was actually, this was our first baptism. And a couple of those same people are in here. Uh, It's a very, very handsome, young-looking, much skinnier guy in the pool. Uh, But, uh, and he is standing there with, uh, uh, also with Alyssa, who is the first person that we baptized here at Pathway, also uh, baptized Michelle Coe on that day. And our first baptisms, before we found out that we could borrow a baptistry and have it indoors, uh, this one was at the James's pool, and that was Abby and Kate James next to uh, Crystal there in purple. And uh, then on the next page, there's uh, uh, Alyssa there getting ready to, to be baptized. And uh, then one of our next ones, we moved over to the Driggers pool. And uh, you don't see me and Forrest. Me and Forrest are in the water, but here's some of the people who are out there with us on that day celebrating and, uh, and we had, uh, you know, baptisms and then just had a cookout. And, you know, the great thing is there's Jessica holding Luke because at that, that was a, yeah, that was a recently bald Jessica. That was post-cancer. A couple of Carries standing behind her. Uh, and there's Heather on the far right, Lauren, Georgia, Mitchell and Andrew way far left, and a, uh, and a very young-looking Ron Ritchie there standing uh, there in the middle. And it's camo, so you can barely see him. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, and so uh, that was always interesting, having a baptism and the little kids just waiting for the prayer to be over so they could jump in the pool because having to explain to them that you have to stand there for a while was, uh, was hard. So then, uh, you know, we, we met in homes and we met in small groups and we started, like I say, that very first one with, uh, we had two small groups going. We had 10 of us uh, as adults and then uh, a college student. Uh, then partnered with another college student who, who went to a church in Bentonville, and then uh, Daniel Ward and Nate Thomas, and they had a, a college small group, and that's where we began. And then over the summer, we met more people, and we multiplied and, and started more small group uh, Bible studies together. And then in the fall uh, of that uh, year, so in the fall of uh, 2007, I think it was, uh, uh, yeah, September is when we began our worship services. And so here's a picture of our first stage we always, anytime you build a stage, after it's done, three months later, you wish it was bigger. But still, this is at least a lot nicer than what we had. So that was the, uh, the dance floor over at the event place, which is now, I think, a cheer studio or something like that. And then every morning we came in and set up all of our equipment and set everything up. And, uh, and then the next picture is one of our worship services a few years later, 2010. Uh, and, uh, you know, and had a, a good crowd of people over there, continued to see our small groups multiply and have more small groups meeting in homes, continue to see more people come and worship with us on Sundays. Uh, the next couple of pictures kind of show uh, our uh, early, very early Pathway kids. So we rented the event place over there at Weddington and Double Springs, and that's where we had for worship, and they had a nursery in there. I don't have any pictures in there. And then next door, which used to be the most recently, I think, that knockout breakfast. I don't think anything's there right now. But there was a, a room in the back, which was the kitchen, and then the room in the front. Uh, this was our offices, also where we had small groups on Wednesday, and then on Sunday mornings, our younger kids were in there. And, uh, and so uh, there's Crystal looking very concerned about something on that wall. But uh, anyway, and so, uh, and so that's where we started, and we, we started having... Um, small groups meet in homes. We went to worship. There was uh, the next year on a Sunday, it was, uh, it was the Metter's first Sunday. Here's a picture of Brad and a couple of very young Metter boys back before they climbed the walls out here and everything else. 
But uh, so that year, it was very rainy Easter uh, weekend, and so we turned all the chairs upside down after worship and hid eggs inside. Uh, and so we had a lot of great things happen there. I mean, for, for years and getting started, doing something new is always exciting, right? Even if it's horrible, it's exciting, okay? And so, but it was great. And meeting new people, seeing people come to know Christ, seeing families that are worshiping together in church for the first time ever or for the first time in years. And then uh, even on the next slide, a very uh, scared-looking Mitchell Neldon because he had just at that time over at the event place uh, made public his decision that, that God was leading him into full-time ministry. And so, uh, and so that happened just down the road in, in some of our early years and our beginnings. Um, not too long after that, um, we, uh, in 2007, we started in May of 2008, uh, we purchased property and, uh, and then went through a lot of different things there, but eventually broke ground. And uh, here's a couple of pictures from uh, being outside, getting ready to break ground. And uh, Jim and Judy Hazen, a lot of y'all either don't know them or you simply know them as the people who drive the truck for the hay rides that we've had out here for years. Uh, but that's Jim and Judy standing to the left of, uh, of Charles and JD. And, uh, and they're the ones we bought the property from. And uh, they came out and celebrated with us and have uh, always loved Pathway and, and helped us. And uh, then on the next picture, uh, we had our uh, building committee and our staff uh, doing the groundbreaking there on the corner. And, uh, and it was an exciting time. We had a lot of things going on and, uh, and you know, a lot of movement going forward. And so, you know, Pathway started very, very small. Uh, we've got a great network of churches around our state that have poured a lot of money and a lot of time into helping us uh, through the American Baptist Association, through our state mission funds uh, that helped pay my salary for many years. We still have some churches right now who are helping uh, give to us and our building fund uh, that has helped us this past year pay off all of our private loans. We still owe like $2.1 million on all of our land and building altogether. It's a lot. Uh, but uh, we have churches who are and individuals who are helping us do that. And so... God moved in very big ways early on, but he continued to move in very big ways. Also, one of the things that we did when we started Pathway is that we also, in a college town, uh, and with college students being a part of, of who we were, began Thrive. And, uh, and Thrive, on, on the next page, uh, a guy named Nate Thomas, he uh, was that one college student who kind of teamed up with us at the very beginning. I'd known Nate. He was a part of the college ministry that I'd led in Little Rock, but uh, in the summer times he was there, but then he came up here to school. And so Nate was a part of, of helping that. On the next page shows a picture of, uh, I think this was our very first meeting night, and uh, we didn't have any space anywhere, so I think we used the U of A theater on campus. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, students on the next page. Here's some of the guys at one of our events. If you've ever wondered, very, very serious looking, Nate, uh, but if you've ever wondered who Brad Norris was, and you can always go to Thrive's website, and there's a page there uh, when it talks about Brad's house. If you've ever been to our house on campus and say, why is this, say, you know, Brad's house on the sign uh, there in front of it? Uh, that guy on the far right was a guy named Brad Norris. He was one of our students our very first year. Uh, and I, I tell you, uh, somebody who had no fear in going out 
telling other people about Jesus, inviting other people to the point that I got called by the vice chancellor's office at the U of A because he was going and putting, you know, gospel tracts and flyers under everybody's doors in the dormitories, and that was against the rules. And I, I told Brad, I said, you know, Brad, we got a problem. You, you got caught. No, but uh, <laughs> that is what I told him. But uh, anyway, and so, so he had to amend his methods and everything. Brad, if you go and you read up there on his story, he was tragically killed in a car crash by a, a drunk driver. He was headed south to go watch his sister play uh, in sports and, and uh, got killed there on the interstate just south of the tunnel. And his family donated the, uh, the use of the house on campus that we use. And so uh, anyway, so that's a picture of some of our early guys. On the next page, you also have a, uh, a very enthusiastic, happy, carefree-looking Carrie uh, Neldon, that was when she was Carrie Forrester, back before, you know, she married Mitchell. She was, look how happy she was back then. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and so uh, Carrie was a part of our, uh, one of those in our first class. The next page, a hand, uh, about a year or two later, uh, actually this was taken in the old house on campus uh, that we used first, that we rented, the big white house that just got torn down last year on the corner of uh, Cleveland and Razorback Road. And then uh, that, I think the, the last picture I have today is just a picture of the, the very first fall when we started having uh, some meetings on campus and trying to meet some people and, and just, you know, getting involved there. And uh, it was fun. It took me a long time to, to whittle down just a handful of pictures to show you, to kind of give you an idea. But, um, um, but uh, we can go on to the next slide and just uh, we're about to jump into some scripture here in a second. But I wanted to start with just letting you see a few of my memories. A few of the things that I got to be a part of. And a few of the, the things that still excite me when I look back. Because all of us, all of us have something in front that God is calling us to do. Right? This is behind me. All these things are behind me, although they're still building blocks into what I'm doing now and what I'll be doing tomorrow and the next day. But these are all the things behind me. The question that I have for us is, what is in front of us that God is asking us to explore? What is there in front of us that God wants us to do? Because if we leave with nothing else today and, um, and the next couple of weeks as we talk about it, I, I want us to understand that God did not put us here to coast in the water. He didn't want us to just sit on calm waters. He wanted us to make waves. God has something that he wants believers to do, and it's different for all of us. I mean, in its base purpose, it's the same, right? God wants us to become Christ-like. He wants us to follow him as best as we can. He wants us to give the image of his son. Why? Because if we do that, it's going to be sharing the gospel and loving other people and serving other people and helping grow his kingdom. But the way we go about that is going to be different, right? What sharing the gospel looks like for you throughout your life and in your area, in your community, and your neighborhood is going to look different. The, your personality, what God has gifted you with, the opportunities God has given you, it's going to lead all of us on a little bit different paths. And the question is, is are we finding what those paths are for us and are we moving forward? Because God didn't put us here to coast. He wants us to explore. He wants us to go. So, why Fayetteville? Why did I say this is the place I feel God leading me to, to start a, a new church? 
I want to jump into Romans chapter 15, and we're going to read some verses there. And anytime I think about someone who's going to start a new ministry, like myself, I mean, obviously this isn't the path for most people here. This is what God called me to do as a pastor to go and to, to start a church. But this same mindset is something that we can all adopt, and it goes back into the heart of why we are here, worshiping together at a church called Pathway. But Paul was talking about his desire to share the gospel. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 15 and verse 17. He said, So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me and my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. But now I've finished my work in these regions, and after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. But before I come, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. So, what was Paul's desire? Paul's desire was to go somewhere where the gospel had never been preached, which back in the first century was a pretty easy thing to do. I mean, outside of the general area around Judea, the gospel had not been preached, and so he was going to new place after new place after new place. And so, okay, well, if that's the desire that you have, Jeremy, why'd you end up in Fayetteville? The gospel had been preached here. There are churches here. And so... It was something that I prayed about, about where to go, and I wanted to go somewhere that I felt was underchurched for that area, that the number of people and the number of people who were believing uh, was shrinking or going down as, you know, compared to population, and it led me looking all over the place. Uh, I looked up north, and then my wife said, I, you're going to have to really convince me that God wants you to go up north. She's like, I, I'm, a, I'm a southern girl. It's, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb there. And, and honestly, I'll just tell you, a guy with me and my accent and my everything else going to, I don't think you could drop me in Manhattan and it'd be that successful. Um, anyway, and so, um, although I can really lay on the hick accent when I'm like visiting these places and people stay away from me. It's great. They're like, this is a weird guy. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> by the way, this is my non-hick accent. And it's bad. So you, you can imagine how, how bad it gets. But, you know, looking at all these different places, looked up north, looked out west, uh, was really settling in around the area of St. Louis because you had just a, a ton of growth and spreading out in these communities where you would have, you know, these little small communities of a couple of thousand people and then, you know, within five years growing to 10,000 and, and uh, you know, and then larger and larger. And so... Um, you know, looking at some of these areas where there were a lot of people going without a lot of feet on the ground 
to, to share the gospel. And one of the things, however, as I was going around at that time as a campus pastor in Little Rock, what Jack does here, I did in, with a church in Little Rock, uh, and raising funds and going to over 200 churches across the state of Arkansas in the six years I was there, is that I was seeing with my own eyes what all of us here, either anecdotally or in different you know, research reports, that churches were shrinking, churches were dying, there were some that were growing, and there were some new that were started, but they weren't outpacing the ones we were losing. Right? The growth of churches was not outpacing the loss of people who were worshiping uh, together or just the churches that were going out of existence. And this was in central and south Arkansas, which is very different than here. And I may share in, in a couple of weeks with you a, a few more reasons why I think the gospel is need, needed as much here as it ever has been, definitely, uh, and as any place else. But back then when I was doing my research, and the state of Arkansas was around 57% uh, what I would call people who believed in some form of salvation by grace through faith. Whether you call that evangelical, uh, the numbers for you know, evangelical churches or historically black churches or those that had a lot of variation, right? They may throw baptism in the mix. They may say that they believe you could lose your salvation or other things that we don't believe. But that just had on the ground floor salvation by grace through faith, whether they added some or took away other things. Uh, it was around 57% statewide, and this was back in the, uh, in the early 2000s. And um, Little Rock, Little Rock, where I was at, had the highest percentage of any other major city in America. It was like 75% of people ascribed to that view. So you would think that Little Rock would have been heaven on earth, uh, but it was not. I, I can tell you that. Um, but statewide, around 57%. Northwest Arkansas, Washington, Benton counties, um, 39%. Like the Fort Smith area was around 62%, and then you went through the tunnel, and you got up here, and it dropped 25 points by the number of people who ascribe to any version or view that there is a heaven, and the way to get there is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And so the numbers today, and I'll share more about this later, over 60% of northwest Arkansas is unchurched. And when I say unchurched, a church person doesn't have to have very much of a connection there to be considered churched. And so those numbers have gone down drastically over the past 20 years. The past 10, the past 5, we've seen a very steep decline. And so why God led me here was not just because I wanted to go somewhere where the gospel is needed, but I also looked at what Paul continued to say. Because there he said in verse 20, you know, um, in verse 23, that he finished those works in his areas and he's coming to visit. And that when he stopped off in, in, uh, after going to Rome, um, he needed to go to Jerusalem to take a gift to believers there. Because other churches had put money together to support other churches that needed it. Much like other churches have helped us get started. And then we are turning around and trying to help others do the same. And then he also said that when he visits them, and when he goes to visit them, then he said that you can provide for my journey, back in verse 24. 
Because Paul, this person who God had called to the, you know, the furthest reaches where there were no believers present and he was going just to a place unknown to preach the gospel and try and create a group of worshiping you know, believers in Jesus Christ, he had to depend on these other churches to support his ministry, to be able to send him, to be able to help him and his team go. Now, he also at times worked and did some of those things, but Paul and other missionaries depended on those handful of churches that were strong enough and growing to be able to send them to the farthest reaches. I mean, I, it, on some days I envy, and then on some days I really don't envy you know, some of those uh, people that I know that are either you know, out in the, the middle of the Pacific Islands translating the Bible into a language that isn't even written down. Uh, and just doing amazing things there and helping start churches at the same time. You can ask John Penn about his uh, time. I don't know if he was the machine gunner or what he was when they went on the... Uh, anyway, I always joke, about, joke with him about that. But they were on a, a boat that's uh, it's remote island ministries out in the Pacific uh, going to these different islands that have almost no gospel presence. And uh, you know, I say that because some of these are very hostile places that they go to. You know, I, I know... Um, People have gone to the Middle East. I know people have gone uh, to, uh, to you know, other places where the gospel isn't even allowed and are trying to work with individuals who were doing underground churches, you know, eight, ten years ago. Um, all of those things are very exciting. And in some ways, you know, each and every one of us could say that appeals to me because going out there those farthest reaches, but it wasn't where God put my heart. He put my heart here because I felt that us... Together now and over the years, everyone who has come along the way to build a church in Fayetteville, um, which is an underchurched area. And even since we've been here and you've had some of the larger churches in the state that have put campuses close by, um, the number of people actually going to church in this town has gone, continued to gone down. So while you may see new large buildings pop up and things like that, the number of people being reached with the gospel and the number of people staying committed to God's word and worshiping and serving together has gone down, not up. And so being a part in a community like that, for us being a part that can then sponsor and can pour uh, you know, part of ourselves into college ministry, and then being here in a growing area, trying to keep up with that growth, trying to reach new people in this area so we can be the kind of churches that Paul would come back to asking for support and help, that he would have come back to and say, can you help this other church that needs it? And so that's why God led me here, and that's why he put my heart here. And he's led all of you here for different reasons. A handful of y'all were here in some of those pictures and here very early on. And it took a lot of work and effort to get where we you know, are worshiping this morning and to have the kind of ministries that we have and to do the kind of things that, that we're doing. You know, as I said, we started in January of 07, that first year in 2008 when we, um, you know, started meetings from one September to the next September, we averaged 48 people on a Sunday morning. Um, we started a loan process in 2008, banking crisis happened, great timing, uh, 20-something, 30-plus financial institutions we got turned down by, uh, it, was a, it was a difficult time, and so... Finally got some of those things moving the next year. Our teen ministry started. Our middle school ministry started in 2009. 
Um, we, uh, Brad's house was donated in 2010. In the middle there, Jessica got cancer and kind of sidelined me for a while. Um, we had great things happening. We had an adversity happening. But we had a vision of what we wanted to do, and we kept moving forward. We kept moving forward. Because you either move forward, stand still, or go backwards. And the reality is, is that if you stand still, everything else is moving forward and leaving you behind. So it's really either forwards or backwards. That, that's the direction that we go. You're either moving forward or you're falling back. And so we have adversity. We have good things. That's called life. You make the decision. Do you believe in this vision enough about what we're doing and why it's important that we want to move forward? Because, yes, were there other churches here? Yes. Are there other good churches in this area? Absolutely. Yes. In this town? Yes. But we still felt the need to plant a church and to do it in such a way that it was not so tied up in either its past or tradition that it made it inflexible, that we stood firmly on the word of God because one of the things that I'd seen going around is that one of the reasons churches were sliding away is they may grow for a time as they move away from God's word, but that's unsustainable because they're moving away from the one thing that gives them spiritual strength. And then to love each other and to truly have a church of people that does their best to serve, to connect, and to love each other and the community around us. And we're not perfect at any of those things, not even close. But it's who we are, it's who in our DNA that we began. And right now through this series, it's something that I want us to revisit. Because if you weren't here and you weren't a part of us back in the 2000s, and you didn't get here until the 10s or maybe even now into the 20s, you know, if you weren't here 15 years ago, I want to tell you that the vision I can see of what our church can do in this community is far greater than what we've accomplished so far. The impact that we can have with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then in the lives of the people around us and in the families of, of our families and families of those in our community is far greater than any of the stories that I could show you on this screen. Because as we grow, if we adopt that idea that our job is to prepare and to go and to build and then keep that cycle moving, if we continue to do that, then what God has for us to explore in the future is wonderful. And it's a matter of whether or not we have the faith to take those steps. I want to share a little bit of more scripture with you today. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. When Jesus sent his disciples out alone for the first time and sent them out in pairs and they went out to do ministry alone, this was about two years into Jesus' ministry. And so they had been around Jesus, they had heard Jesus, and then Jesus called them to follow him. And so then they followed Jesus for a long time and they were taught by him directly and growing in all of that. And then about two years in, he sends them out on their own for the first time. Because he knows a little over a year later, they're going to be on their own. And they need to be able to get out and to do this. But when he sent them out, he sent them out with confidence and power of the Holy Spirit. And it says that he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now for that time, he just sent them 
to the other Jewish communities. He told them not to worry about to go to the Gentile communities. Just go to the Jewish communities because they were all Jewish. Y'all can just preach to them about what you have in common from the, you know, from the, the Jewish scriptures and that, you know, that they need to repent and they need to turn to the Messiah. And so he sent them out to do that. He gave them the ability to heal the sick, to raise the dead. That's all the things that he said that he would do uh, down in verse 8. He did warn them that persecution would come. He said that people would, some would turn against them. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he also said, don't have fear. He said, don't fear what people can do to you. All they can do is kill you. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't call that a motivational speech. But, uh, but Jesus is, you know, very matter of fact saying, you know, go. If you believe that I can give you the ability to go and to heal the sick and to raise the dead, don't, don't worry about what these people can do to you. I, I'm on your side. Don't worry about that. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. And so they went out and they did some great things and, and they started, you know, sharing the gospel with people and, you know, they were limited in their message a little bit uh, because they weren't, you know, trying to create a new, you know, government or anything else. But as they went out and they were healing and they were doing all these other miracles that he had empowered them to do, there's a story in Matthew chapter 17 where they then came back and they ran into a roadblock. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14, it says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? In verse 20, he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So he had sent out his disciples he sent them to more, I guess, familiar territory, right? When I came to Fayetteville, I'd been in college here for four years before I went to Little Rock. This was not unfamiliar territory to me. But the job that I had, the task in front of me was, was very different. But they were able to go out into, unfamiliar, you know, into familiar territory and among a familiar belief system and everything else to try and share the gospel. And even then, Jesus said, you're going to have people stand against you you're going to have people try and persecute you, but don't worry, because I'm with you, I'm giving you power, I'm giving you the ability to show my power through doing these miracles, healing the sick, even raising the dead, and doing all of these other things. But still, they came back, and in Matthew chapter 17, some of them found a roadblock, and they weren't able to do what Jesus had empowered them to do. See, he said, I give you the authority to do these things, but that doesn't mean that they're going to follow through and do them, right? God's given us a calling and an authority to go out and to share his gospel and his promise that the Holy Spirit will be the one doing the work. You know, we put feet to the ground and God still does the work. We do the job in front of us and the Holy Spirit is the one with the power to make things happen. 
And so God has given us a calling and he has given us his power to go in front of us and follow us with us and behind us and to do his work. We're just called to move, to go, to step forward on that path. But his disciples hit a point and they weren't able to do what God had said go and do. And Jesus said, it's because of your little faith. Now, I said at the very beginning that God doesn't want us simply to tread water and to stay in the calm waters. He has called us as believers in our world to make waves. But they came to a place and they faced a situation. I don't know if this was a stronger demon than others or more numerous than others or because we see that throughout Scripture. Um, but here, either it was because of what they faced or because it was so more violent or disruptive, or maybe the doubts of the other people around them in the crowd made them doubt their ability to do anything. Whatever it was, the disciples weren't able to carry out what Jesus had placed in front of them. And Jesus' answer was, it's, it's because you didn't believe you could. It's not because you didn't have the power that I sent you with. It's not because the power I sent you with, if you were able to bring, if I said that you have the power to do all these things, even unto bringing someone back from the dead, you can handle this. It's not that my power wasn't enough. It was that you didn't believe that through my power you could do it. You just didn't believe. I want us. It was my job early on to convince everybody who came through the doors to dream big with us, right? Dream big. Starting from very small about what we could do and why that was important in our community. And that's still my job today, is to tell all of us gathered here, worshiping together in person, those of us worshiping together online, is to dream big as far as what God can accomplish through you. Because I'm telling you, he can accomplish through you way more than you believe he can. He can accomplish anything he wants through you. The question is, what path does he put in front of you, and are you willing to take it? Are you willing to explore? Are you willing to dream so big that God puts something so strong in front of you that you have to turn to him and say, I can't, but I know you will. That's what we are called to do as believers. Jesus called out to them and said that, and then just a few chapters later towards the end, Matthew 21, they were, they were walking together again. It says in verse 18, In the morning as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed a fig tree beside the road, and he went over to see if there were any figs. But there were only leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. And immediately the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed when they saw this and asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt... You can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, second time he kind of uses this analogy, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you will receive it. Now you're going to hear sermons talking about preparing, talking about counting the cost, talking about those things. I'm not telling you to jump off a cliff and then start praying for God to keep you from crashing to the bottom, Right? And that's not what he was saying to them here. But he, once again, was with his disciples. And here in this moment, 
They were amazed that a fig tree withered so quickly. I mean, Jesus brought a man back to life. They saw that. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and all those were instant. But here, for some reason, this fig tree once again stumped them, and they could not believe it. And that is why, when they failed, they failed. When they failed in serving God, that is why. Now, I'm not saying that that's why we fail in every other part of life, but when it comes to our spiritual life, that's why. Because even though we have seen and we know what God is capable of, in that moment, we don't believe what we see. Or we at least don't believe what God is calling us to, that he will do it through us. Now, what we dream is going to be different for everybody. What your spiritual goals need to be, and our next steps hit on that, what your spiritual goals need to be, uh, it may be something as simple as, you know, you said in January you're going to read in your Bible and you're still not doing it. And sometimes, and we'll talk about how our failures keep us from making new steps forward, but if you committed to read your Bible every day and you're only reading it two out of seven, I'd rather have almost 30% of something than 100% of nothing. If you say that I want to share my faith with somebody and, and still yet you haven't started creating the conversations that even open the door for you to do that, I would love it if you just invited somebody to worship with you or shared a Bible verse with someone or even just told someone you're praying for them. Better yet, ask them how you can pray. See, what I want us to do today as we leave here is to look for things that we can say, I know God wants this from me, Right? I'm not telling you to say that I want to lead a 1,000 people to Christ in the next year. Does God want that? Sure. And set that goal if you really feel that's what he wants you to do. Or to go out and say, you know what, I want to go out here and I, I want to do something so amazing and so difficult, I'm going to go and mortgage my house and put all the money down for it because that's what I want to do. If that's what God leads you to, that's all right. On this Mother's Day, I can tell you that when we were looking for private loans, that's what my mom did. She was the first private loan that we had here at Pathway. And uh, led me to go out to churches and say, hey, if we go under, I'm the one who loses my inheritance. And so mamas would love you and trust you probably more than they need to. That's mamas. But what I'm saying is, is that we don't have to be crazy with our dreams. We can start small. And then when that small one gets accomplished, we can start dreaming big. But I want to tell you to set your spiritual goals greater than you think you'll be able to attain. We keep ourselves boxed in on what we think we can do through God. We allow our past failures or we allow the difficulties we see in the future to keep us boxed in on what God can accomplish through us. But I want us to dream big. The disciples had to be reminded of that all the time. All right? We're not alone. We're not in bad company the people who followed Jesus the closest still had those moments where they didn't think they could do what God had put in front of them. But they could, we can. It's just a matter of whether we're willing to believe and to dream. As we prepare for a time of response this morning, you know, if you are here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus as Savior, I've been talking a whole lot more about those of us who believe in what God wants for us next. But I want to tell you that the gospel message and the fact that I know that one day I'll spend eternity with him in heaven, I don't have any doubts there because I don't have to worry about what I've done. I just have to worry about what Jesus has done and who he is. And if you have never 
place your trust in him, I just want to tell you that that is open for you today. And if you have thought that you need to get something fixed or you need to get something right, the only thing you need to get right is just believing in Jesus. And if you're here and you want to talk about that or pray about that, while we worship, I'll be standing over here to the side and I would love to talk to you this morning. But for those of us here who are believers, I don't want you to end this day before you start putting something ahead of you that you commit to try and accomplish spiritually in your walk with Christ. I want us to dream big, and it starts small with each one of us doing what God has called us to do and then moving forward together. Thank you for listening. We encourage you to take some next steps this week. We would like you to write down three things on a note card or something that you can post on a mirror, desk, or somewhere else in your house. Let it be a reminder of your spiritual goals. One, today's date. Two, a spiritual goal for the next six months. And three, a spiritual goal for the next three years. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.